You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the Cloud Security Alliance, recorded live at London Olympia as part of InfoSec Europe 2017, presented by Richard Morrell. Recording at London InfoSec 2017, sat opposite in a very crowded, noisy booth, uh, sat opposite Colin from Verico. Colin, say hi. Hi, thanks, Richard. Uh, my name is Colin Dominey. I'm a consultant solution architect at Vericode. Talk to me about Vericode and the explosion that you've been in for the last 18, 24 months. Right, so, so Vericode, um, we are the, the company that uh, powers, powers the, um, that um, secures the software that powers your world. As I was saying um, before, um, the world is increasingly running on software. And I think what we're finding, um, we finding particularly in the, last, in the last year or two, is that that software is still vulnerable. Right, we're still seeing the same type of flaws being injected into code. Um, we're seeing the same patterns, the same type of vulnerabilities, and we're finding these increasingly. Um, I think the problem is that software that people develop, I think probably exists for longer than they anticipated. Right, A developer writes a piece of code, um, they think this is a one-off, I'm never going to use that bit of code again, and we find that the applications last for years. I've come from a background where I've seen code bases lasting 20 or more years, where people aren't anticipating that the applications are going to last as long as they are. Um, and then more importantly, they don't understand that attackers are getting really clever in how they can attack applications. Attackers are getting more sophisticated, they're getting better funded, um, they've got free and easy tooling available to them. So I think those are two of the big, the big problems we're seeing. And the problem is really based on our two and a half trillion lines of code that we've scanned. Uh, we're seeing the same common uh, patterns emerging. We're seeing people getting the very basics wrong, um, even in this day and age. So it's quite, quite a surprising uh, position to be in. So looking at code bases and you look through people's comments, etc., etc., you still see lazy coding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, SQL injection has been around, been established for, for 20 years. I've been on consultation calls with application developers. I've shown them a piece of code that's clearly vulnerable to cross-site scripting or SQL injection, and I've had the question come back, uh, I don't know what SQL injection is. It's shocking. Yeah, that is shocking. But I think that's one of the, the fundamentals is, you know, insecure coding practices. Developers, I mean, they incentivize to produce functions, to produce features. They're not incentivized to produce code, right? It's a non-functional requirement. Nobody, I don't think yet it's a, it's a distinguishing, it's, it's a killer feature. It's not yet a killer feature, secure code. I, I think there's a growing public awareness of security, of application security. That's going to change. But for the moment, security is seen as something that uh, is in the back of a lot of developers' minds. Um, it's, it's something that's burdensome. And I think at Vericode, we're really trying to, to make it easier for developers to test. We want to take away that, uh, that blocker, that obstacle. We, don't, we want developers to be empowered to, to use our scanning solutions. They should be doing that at every stage of the, the, their development process. And I put up a stat that said one third of applications on scan for security. And I, and I said to people in the audience yesterday, I said, imagine if a vehicle manufacturer, if they only tested two out of every three cars, uh, would that be acceptable? Uh, I think the answer is clearly no. So why would that be any different for, for people who, who are writing applications that are, are running our lives? But it's, it's, it's bigger than that. I walk into organizations where a developer starts day one and they give him a laptop. He gets his choice of IDE. You know, there's no guidelines and stuff. Even, even at the start. Yeah, well, a, a couple of points I'd made about that, as I said, um, the use of the, another way that vulnerabilities get into applications is, is people, um, you know, the, these modern IDs and development environments are connected to NuGet and Maven Central. It's really easy to just pull in any component out of the cloud, build it into your code and ship it. Uh, and, and I've said that one of the things organizations need to do is take some responsibility, define a policy. Uh, what, are their, what is their risk tolerance? What's their thresholds? Uh, what, are, what is prescribed? Make this policy available. Make developers aware. Uh, 
you can do this, you can't do that. We're not stifling creativity, but we're saying it's also not acceptable for you to be inadvertently exposing our business and our customers to, to risk that's inherited from some unknown source. So I, th I think that's, and, and our data bears that out, I think of the applications we see, 80% of applications have some or other third party or open source component that does have a high severity uh, flaw. And people are inadvertently ingesting these flaws into the apps. But there's, there's, it goes deeper than that because if you look at many open source applications, yes, probably 70 or 80 percent have CVEs. Now, I, I like that because it means that there's a maintainer somewhere that actually files CVEs. It's the it's the projects where they don't file CVEs, and that then that 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 becomes part and parcel of a massive problem. Yeah. Well, certainly we we found cases where we've had. Um, COT software, so commercial software that's just no longer supported and has critical vulnerabilities. And, and we found when we've reached out to those vendors, uh, there's a bit of a head in the sand approach to that. They, they sort of don't want to know. They prefer that people weren't scanning on Vericode. And I think that's a, that's a fairly dangerous, dangerous position to be taking. But what about companies? I mean, you presumably work with companies who plug into the PSN network, and they, they're just as, as big a risk as well. Um, yep, certainly. Yeah. They've got a Coco, and they've got a, they, they, you know, they've signed up for terms and conditions to connect to it. But they're, they're deploying and provisioning these applications willy-nilly. They've got an agile Scrum, which has never seen security. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the dangers. So I'm, I'm one of the um, spokesperson or evangelists around securing DevOps. I think the, the dev, DevOps is going to bring with it both good and bad. I think the fact that as we optimize the pipeline and we shorten release cycles, you know, there's more danger of us just willy-nilly dumping code or vulnerable code and much, I mean, one of my colleagues tweeted and said, um, DevOps ensures that you can deploy f uh, vulnerabilities with great, greater speed, right? So, and I think that's where security providers, traditional, I, I often stand up and say that traditional security professionals, as my experience having come from an investment bank background, security professionals in that sort of environment scan and scold too late uh, in the process, producing voluminous reports of thousands of findings. Uh, either their days are limited because in a DevOps, uh, DevOps world, um, people are going to find ways to work around that. But if you listen to Matt Garrett at CoreOS or Jerome Petalozzi from Docker, containers are going to fix this. Uh, containers just shift, um, exactly. you know, just shift that position. I mean, the 75 percent of the, the, the exploits that we're seeing are coming at application layer. So whether that application be within a container, um, I don't think that fundamentally changes changes the problem. But they would argue that containers—it's the fail early, fail often, tear them up, turn down. It doesn't make a difference. I don't. I don't think it does. I, um, I, I wouldn't have thought so. If, if you're seeing the kind of basic things that we're getting wrong, I think the, some of these very basic security flaws is probably indicative of developers not understanding perhaps how their software systems are working. So I think as you add layers of complexity and, and abstraction to that, you're probably making, you're potentially making the situation even worse. Um, you know, the move to microservices, I think, as we start fragmenting and splitting everything up, obviously, we're taking an attack surface that was previously quite well-known and quite finite, and we're now sharding this and scattering it and, and exposing who knows what endpoints with who knows what caliber or vintage code. But then they're adding software-defined networking to make your life even more difficult. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, but they say, oh, but it's open APIs. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's open, the hackers can see it as well. And everything, obviously, everything's published. Um, and so how do we secure, how do we know those APIs are secured? I mean, I'm ex-Red Hat, so, you know, I always used to have the answer, well, we have SE Linux giving template-based segregation, but you're, you're, you're basically trying to protect bad code. 
Yeah, essentially. I mean, we, we, we're scanning and, and we're doing it automatically. We're doing things like we would we'd still recommend, obviously, people are doing architecture reviews, doing threat modeling and doing manual code reviews. Um, you know, there's a limit to what static code analysis can detect, obviously. Um, we, we take, we take the, the burden of, we find the low-hanging fruit. Um, we can automate this. We can prevent, I mean, other ways that people can, can use um, security testing with static analysis is if they've got a clean code base, just make sure that they scan just before production in case anything happens to slip through. Just have it as a gating control. But you know, the cloud that the customers have now isn't the cloud they're going to have in 18 months' time. Ambition, ambition makes them do stupid things. Well, it's, it's the drive to, to move quicker. Um, I think people have, have an impression that because it's in the cloud, it's going to be somebody else's who's taking responsibility for that security. Um, you know, obviously the, the cloud shared security model, uh, a lot of the onus is obviously on the, on the vendor, um, and it's, it's mostly at the application layer. Veracode must be adding maturity, though, to the customers you're working with. Yes, I believe so. I think this works in a number of, so I come from a, from a background of being a Vericode customer, of having deployed Vericode at scale in an investment bank in some challenging environments. Um, yeah, in four years we, we completely turned around things. I think when I started we had a manual pen test program that was doing maybe 70 or 80 critical applications a year. And four years later we had a point where we were literally scanning everything that moved. Every time anybody wrote a piece of code in that bank, it was scanned on Vericode for basic flaws. Colin. I'm very grateful you joined me on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.